Certainly in Christ alone we stand. Amen and amen. I love that song. So, what is it that drives our deepest desires and wants? At times, different seasons of life contribute to that answer. And I even know for some of you here today, perhaps it's the excitement of an upcoming wedding and a new family. For others, maybe it's the passion and pursuit of a career. Or what about the pursuit of healthy relationships? Husband and wife, friends and family. For some of us here in this local body, it's the great desire to serve here at Miriam Christian Chapel. A wonderful desire that we all should desire and look forward to. Or maybe some of us simply are attempting to just stay afloat in this hurricane of life, if you will. In many respects, each of these desires are worthwhile and real. By all means, we would all agree that these are important for us to endeavor towards. They're vital essential and successful Christian living. Although, if we're honest, how many of these desires actually produce lasting comfort and peace? It's like dropping an important piece of paper in a brisk and windy day. We've all been there as we stumble and fall to try to catch it in the wind, whisk it, whisks it away. This is a perfect picture of what it's like to chase the desires of this world. King Solomon would say that it's like striving after the wind. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11 we read, thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was no profit under the sun. How much of our life is committed to pursuing yes, Things of importance, but not of the greatest value. Last week, we were able to see Paul's impressive resume and the warning against boasting in one's reputation. I mentioned that this week we would see more of what Paul thought of that resume. Today, here in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, we find ourselves in this exposition of this letter. As Paul writes this portion, you will hear and feel his emotions on his sleeve. A heart that simply desires to know Christ more. 
As for us and our application, we will seek to answer the question, what will drive our desire to know Christ more? I want us to look at three commitments from the text. Life will always be a struggle when it comes to priorities, and many of them good ones. However, the greatest challenge for us all is to know Christ more. Augustine phrased this desire with intimate perfection when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. To know Christ more is to know rest, to know peace, and to know ultimate purpose. Would you stand with me as we read our passage for today? Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You may be seated. Our first commitment is a hatred of the things of this world. Have you ever examined an important decision by creating a list of positives and negatives. We examine these decisions with thorough reflection and insight. Perhaps we put the positives on one side of the page and the negatives on the other. Counting the gain versus the loss. Often there is a sense in which we make the decision in the beginning and time continues to confirm what we already know in our hearts to be true. This is exactly what Paul is alluding to in this section. Coming off the heels of his impressive resume, he says in verse 7 again, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss, for the sake of Christ. What were those things? Look again at verses 5 and 6. He says that he was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, 
as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Profitable beyond measure. Worthy of the highest honor, one might say. And yet Paul says, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This word for loss here conveys the idea of forfeiting something that was previously possessed. Last week we were reminded to beware of polishing our old trophies of the past. We're all tempted at times to do so. Paul has come to an understanding that he made on the Damascus Road and now continues to know. What is that understanding? Any list of earthly accomplishments are simply worthless and a loss compared to knowing Christ. Take that list again and fill it with anything that you can think of from this worldly perspective. And it is nothing. Rubbish as we will see here shortly. Compared to knowing Christ. So much so that in verse 8. Paul continues this forceful declaration. With a contrast of extreme emphasis. Look again at verse 8. That contrast he says. More than that. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. If the church at Philippi was tempted that Paul's list was enough, he makes sure to cover what was not listed. He says, more than that, I count all things as loss. Paul communicated a similar type of commitment deep into his third missionary journey. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, listen to his heart once again. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. He did not consider his life of any account. And what is that loss compared to? The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. For Paul, his desire was to communicate that knowing Christ was of exceptional value. Infinitely more than anything the world has to offer. Extremely challenging statement for each and every one of us. What do we value in life as exceptional? It's one thing to make a statement of allegiance to Christ. It's another thing to peel back the layers of our wants and our desires that surround it. 
Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our money? How do we allocate our resources? Would the core of who we are affirm its primary purpose to know Christ more? Let me reiterate as your pastor and as your friend. This is weighty for each and every one of us, including myself. Paul himself understood this when he said in Romans chapter 7, why do I do what I don't want to do? I have good news for you, though. Encouragement from our Lord himself. Did you know that he is praying even now for you that you might know him more? John chapter 17, verses 1 through 3 reads, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There's no greater encouragement than to know that the Lord himself is praying for you if you are in Christ. There's confidence in this pursuit because of His action on our behalf. This use of knowing demonstrates a type of confidence in a knowledge that is initiated by the Lord. This is not a gaining of knowledge through Paul's theological reflection alone but a supernatural work of the Spirit. Praise the Lord. A work that brings a personal and intimate relationship with Christ through the sovereign hand of God. Paul communicated the same truth to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 reads, for God who said light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Yet once again, as we often see throughout Scripture, and you'll even hear me allude to often, God is indeed absolutely sovereign and control. And yet man is still responsible. What will drive our desire to know Christ more? The reality that Christ himself has determined it so. And the reality that we are determined ourselves to do so as well. 
In Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he stated it as, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you hear his desire to know nothing more except him and and him being crucified? He was determined to know so. You'll recall that in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul prayed that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. We called that the prayer of substance from that message. Would that be our prayer here at Marian Christian Chapel? Would that be our desire determined to know Christ more? That we would grow in love and knowledge and discernment, pursuing it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now let me also say, this is not a subjective knowledge of Him but an objective understanding of who he is revealed in this precious word of God, the 66 books of the Bible. Objective understanding, not subjective. Hmm. You might have noticed that I've not yet referenced the title of this first commitment a hatred of the things of this world. Before I address the last part of verse 8, listen to these powerful words from our Lord in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Strong words. John MacArthur had this to say concerning this hatred. Jesus was calling his disciples to cultivate such a devotion to him that their attachment to everything else, including their own lives, would seem like hatred by comparison. With that in mind, listen to the last part again of verse 8. He says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. We already mentioned this word loss, and this communication of a forfeiture of things previously possessed, everything that was once considered as gain, Paul is now forfeiting. Why? Because he saw it as rubbish. The term rubbish is only used once in the New Testament. It carries the idea of trash or garbage or even in one separate Greek source, it's referred to as a half-eaten corpse. You get the picture. This is a vulgar 
and disgusting term. The prophet Isaiah echoed similar types of words concerning our works. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. Hate is a strong word. But it helps to communicate a deeper level of commitment. In comparison to the things of this world. That as I stated, yes, can be good. Paul considered all things in comparison to gaining Christ as like rotten, decaying flesh. Lost. As we consider what will drive our desire to know Christ more, we can rest in the fact that Christ has and continues to shine the light of knowledge into our lives. However, at the same time, would we commit to knowing Christ in a manner that looks like hatred to the things of this world? How do we practice that on a consistent basis? Let's look to our second commitment for some answers. And that is a life devoted to faith. A life devoted to faith. And last week we discussed the warning of our motivations and how they often at times lead to pride. We all still wrestle with the flesh, do we not? There is an inherent desire within us all to perform works to various degrees to appease that flesh. Why do you think that every false religion in the world is primarily comprised of a desire to earn God's favor through works? When it comes to the desire to be in control, man will ultimately apart from grace, find what he desires, that man that is without Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 3 clearly says, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Apart from Christ, the desire to be in control continually pursues the lusts of the flesh. The accomplishments, the trophies of our past. However, that passage in Ephesians does not stop there. Verses 4 and 5 read, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. 
Paul in verse 9 of our passage confirms the bedrock truth undergirding a life devoted to faith. Look again at verse 9. He says, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, I'd be remiss if I did not touch upon the fundamental issue behind it all. What will drive our desire to know Christ more? It can only begin with the acknowledgement that our righteousness or pursuit of good is worthless in and of itself. Paul says it's derived from the law. This is why he viewed his prestige and his honor as rubbish, garbage, trash, half-eaten corpses compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. No amount of honor, prestige, or works will ever be enough. Jesus said you must be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Paul desired to be found in him, and that began when he received Christ through faith. Is there anyone here today trusting in something other than faith alone? What are you holding on to when it comes to knowing Christ? If there is any confidence in past or present works, I beg you, examine yourself to see that you are in the Lord. Paul says that the only righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith. Any other message is a false gospel. To know Christ more begins with a salvation that is solely based on grace and faith alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. For the unbeliever, there's still hope to turn in repentance from sin and receive Christ by faith. Judgment is coming. And every knee will indeed eventually bow. Even in the, a room such as this of perhaps a couple hundred people. What if 80% of you were believers trusting in Christ alone through faith and 20% were not. That would be 
50 precious souls within this room. Trust in Christ alone. Receive him by faith. For those of us whom the Lord has saved by grace and faith alone, what else might we gain from this life devoted to faith? Faith from a salvation perspective, as Paul is demonstrating, is critical to knowing Christ. However, if righteousness is defined as doing what God requires, then faith will still have a role post-salvation. It will certainly help us and drive us to know Christ more in our daily walks. So, how might a life devoted to faith equip us for further knowing Christ? One thing is for sure. It has nothing to do with you or me. With that comment in mind, listen to the words of a certain well-known pastor as he attempts to communicate what faith is. He says, you know what the opposition to your faith is. It's not other people. It's not critics. It's not even the devil. It's your own belief, unbelief. You are the biggest problem in your own life. Why don't you believe God more? Why don't you trust Him more? It's your choice. There are a lot of things you don't have control over, but you can choose to believe God. Do you want to do big things in your life? Then start believing. What's the problem with that picture? Where's the focus? You, 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 you. As we have seen throughout this letter and throughout Scripture, Paul is not focused upon himself, but solely upon Christ and knowing Him more. That being said, what might this look like for application? You don't need to turn there, but I would draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which is often cited when we think of what faith is. That verse reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Is the writer's hope and conviction here based upon himself or a subjective feeling? A couple verses earlier in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, we see what faith is grounded in. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. John Calvin defined faith as such. Faith is knowing what is his will towards us. Therefore, we hold faith to be the knowledge of God's will towards us. 
How do we know that? How do we know his will? How might we know Christ more through faith? Is it searching for a subjective feeling through some type of smoke and mirrors worship experience? No. Is it searching for a vision or a feeling that we believe to be from God? No. In reference to our quote earlier, is it believing God for big things in your life? Is that faith? No, my friends. What is it then? Search the scriptures. Listen for his objective promises to his people and believe them. This is a life devoted to faith. This is a life worthy of the gospel. A life that looks to the things of this world as we hate them, a hatred. Some days for us all, including myself, are better than others. But my friends, Children of God practice righteousness. Practice your faith in believing the promise that you have a great high priest, a mediator that intercedes for you even now. Believe it. Practice your faith in believing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is strength. That is courage. That is a life devoted to faith. Let's turn our attention to the final commitment for this morning. That is a gospel-centered life. Look with me again at verses 10 and 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This use of know again is that same word from verse 8. It is the initiating work of the Spirit that even makes these things possible. I don't want us to gloss over these things because it brings immense confidence for when it comes to knowing Christ more. How is this accomplished? From a human perspective, Paul says, through a knowledge of the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and being conformed to his death. We simply look at these three elements. We see the framework of the gospel and the life and death and resurrection of Christ. Why is the gospel good news? 
It's a rescue message for the sinner that we are able to escape the power of death and sin. It's also a message where the rescued sinner is given power to overcome in this life and to know Christ more. Do you at times, as I, feel the resistance of the world, Satan, or even your own flesh? Of course you do. However, take courage. This power is capable of overcoming resistance. What are some areas of life where we need power to resist and overcome our weaknesses? First and foremost, as we have seen, hopefully, it's in a desire and a commitment to know Christ more in a way that looks like hatred to the things of this world. What about other areas of life that are good and honorable? That, yes, we need power to overcome the resistance. Areas such as love for our spouses, for family, for people in general. Wisdom in decisions. Or hope in times of despair. Paul speaks of this very type of resurrection power and how it provides specifically to these three components, love and wisdom and hope, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, one letter previous. Turn back and look at Ephesians chapter 1. It's important for us to see this as we all desire to live a gospel-centered life, to live a life devoted to faith, and we need resurrection power to do so. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 1, 15 through 20. He says, For this reason too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Here it is. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at the right hand in heavenly places a gospel-centered life is indeed filled with power to know christ more to trust in faith in him who is faithful not in ourselves 
It is also a life that identifies intimately with our Savior. This is exactly what is communicated in the two words, fellowship and conformed. Paul desires to know him not just through the power of the resurrection, but through the fellowship of his sufferings while also being conformed to his death. He's already identified in chapter 1, verse 29, that suffering is a reality of the Christian life. Do you desire to know Christ more? To experience power in the midst of your suffering? Believe the promise that through suffering we relate with our Savior and we find power to overcome. What does that mean? Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. He says, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Do you desire to know Christ more and experience power to overcome the resistance of this world? Rest in the definitive work that as a believer, you have been conformed to his death. What does that mean? What does that look like? How is that empowering to you? Romans chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 reads, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Let me repeat that. Resurrection power, being conformed to his death, identifying with him, you are no longer a slave to sin. A wonderful truth and encouragement and power that we all need on a daily basis. A couple last comments here on verse 11. Paul says, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. We know Scripture interprets Scripture. Paul is by no means communicating some type of doubt that he will not finish the race strong. His confidence, as is ours, is in Christ alone and his sufficient sacrifice. Listen to this great truth. Nothing can shake it that if you are in the hands of God, you will never be snatched from it. 
However, he is communicating some type of hope in his use of may attain. The answer, I believe, is best understood in the Greek text, which actually states out of or out from the dead. This is simply a reference to the spiritually dead and Paul's desire to be taken out from among them. What is this? But nothing more than the rapture of the church. Paul, nor do any of us, past or present believers, know the time of the great catching away that we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. However, one thing is certain. Paul lived with an eternal focus. A gospel-centered life, gospel-centered living will certainly produce the same in us. A focus upon eternity. We began with the question, what will drive our desire to know Christ more? We looked at three commitments. Hatred of the things of this world in comparison. A life devoted to faith and a gospel-centered life. I'll leave you with two final questions to ponder. What is it in your life that is keeping you from knowing Christ more? And what are you going to do about it? And I'm speaking to myself as well as your fellow worker, as your fellow brother in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, to some extent, we are all deeply humbled by a passage such as this. We feel the weight of falling short on a daily basis. But Lord, if we are in Christ, you have given us power to overcome. You have given us resurrection power to be more than conquerors. To practice righteousness. To believe your objective, inspired, inerrant word for us. Oh God, help us to know you more. To count the things of this world as lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing you. This is our heart's desire, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.